Do you remember what it was like to be a teenager? Like, really remember? All those feelings, the highs and the lows, the fangirling, the obsessions, the visceral nature of everything, being utterly heartbroken over a friendship issue or a boy you had a crush on, or being utterly ecstatic if your favourite boy ran released a new song, you deep dive, learn all the words, learn all the dance moves, and then perform them over and over with your friends at school. Well, hello. I'm Tonts, and this is a podcast about emotions, about the joys of life and the difficult bits. I interview every week writers, activists, experts, thinkers, and deeply feeling humans about their stories. And my name is Claire Tonti. I'm your host, and I'm glad you're here. My guest today, Maggie Zhao, reminded me of the exact joy of teenagehood. She is a writer and producer, as well as an incredibly talented Instagrammer and photographer. She is 23, and as we discuss in today's episode, a digital native. I found her perspective on things so refreshing, and her take on social media and what it has meant to grow up with the internet, really, really fascinating. Maggie writes for the online publication Refinery29 and is a fresh, funny, and insightful voice, especially in the slow fashion space. Maggie is an advocate for the slow fashion movement, really examining the how, what, and why of our clothes, where they come from, who makes them, and how we can all make more ethically sound choices in an industry that's impact on the environment is really problematic and often damaging. But we don't really touch much on that today. Instead, what we talk about is how it feels to move through the world as a deeply feeling creative person. And I just really enjoyed Maggie's perspective. We discuss how it felt for Maggie to grow up Chinese as well and her longing at that time to be the same as her friends at school and how that has changed over time into a real love and pride in her cultural heritage. We talk about her love of cooking. We talk about self-care and what that means. And we also chat about Jennifer Garner's just bloody lovely film, Suddenly 30, which is one of Maggie's favorites. So if like me, you love to fangirl over things and find the joy in the tiny bits of life, I really think you're going to love this episode so much. Here she is, the incredibly talented and intelligent woman, Maggie Zhao. I wanted to start actually, normally I wait till the end to talk about the movie or the TV show that someone's brought in, but I actually think this is so perfect to talk about your life and everything. So you've brought in Suddenly 30 Mm -hmm. as like your favorite movie. Do you want to tell us about that movie first and why you chose it? It's the funniest thing because I'm someone who is terribly indecisive. I hate having favorites of things. Like ask me what music I like, I'll freak out. Same goes with movies, um, if I'm honest. But this movie, Suddenly 30, or some people know it by 13 going on 30, which is just not as catchy, is a movie that brings me so much joy. I'm like the biggest sucker for a good rom-com. And this, you know, probably early 2000s-ish movie starring Jennifer Gardner is just something that I can watch and rewatch time and time again. Yes, right. It's just because it's Mark Ruffalo as well as kind of the romantic lead. Oh, yes. But it's just, I think one of the reasons I love it too, when I went back to think about it, is that it deals with the awkwardness of puberty and mean girls and growing up as a woman and how you imagine your life to be when you're 13, but also just like our perceptions of an adult and what that Mm. actually sort of is in the world. What kind of kid were you when you were growing up? I I just had a massive flashback to me with my little bowl cut and my fringe. Um, I'm a middle child, so I've got an older sister and a younger sister. And unfortunately for me in many home videos, you'll see me just crying slash like, you know, wanting attention but not getting it. I used to cry a lot at the beach, such an emotional child. But I also think I'm that typical middle child in the sense that I kind of keep the peace in the family. I'm kind of that kind of harmonizing butter between two slices of bread. 
a very happy-go-lucky child as well, very similar to how I am now. I am 23 years old and honestly, my teen days don't feel that long behind me. And it's something recently I've tried to hold on to. Like I loved being a teenage girl with all of its ups and downs and that kind of emotional side to me, I still want to be in touch with. But yeah, very creative, very much a book lover, also a big crier. Those are the main things that come to mind, which I don't know what that says about me, but yeah. It says that you're one of my people because yeah. I just cry. I still cry just constantly, happy, sad, whatever. I'm just there. It's something special. Like I think it's something to actually take pride in because being able to experience our emotions deeply and, you know, allowing us space to feel whatever we are feeling in that moment, that's so good. Mm, it totally is, isn't it? I think it's so important. Why did you love being a teenage girl? Because <laughs> I hated it. I wanna, I'm so interested. Why did you love it? It's, it's with hindsight, I have to say, but my teenage years were very much colored by my love of One Direction, very much <laughs> a fangirl. And those were some of the best years of my life, the most most tumultuous, like emotional years of my life. But that boy band saw me through the better half of my teen years. And I just, I don't know, again, it's very much rose-colored glasses. I'm not lying to you. But looking back, I just love how, you know, we're talking about that unbridled emotion. Like that was, that was it. I often say that if you wanted to study the human condition and, and look at humans and kind of bottle us up into a little jar, just look at a teenage girl. Like I think they feel so much. A thousand percent. And so, and are so resourceful and powerful. What was it that One Direction gave you? A sense of community, like this is terrible. My parents still don't know about this, but when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I I honestly started a Twitter account and it was for my One Direction fandom, like love of that page. And from there, I was connecting with other hopefully young girls my age. Again, this is very bad because it's stranger danger, but you know, there was this beautiful sense of community where I got to talk with others who shared my love of One Direction. And it was just this space where we could scream, we could cry, we could talk about these British boys who know nothing about us, who create like kind of subpar music, but it's but it's fun and it's joyful. Um, and I think that was the biggest allure of it all. Yeah. Oh, there's an amazing artist called Eve Blake who's mm. written a movie. Have you seen her stuff? Fangirls? Yes. Yeah, she's written a musical, Fangirls, but her TED Talk as well is exactly about this, power of teenage girls. Oh, my goodness. Her work is the most, like, affirming stuff. I actually interviewed her on my own podcast um, that I co-host with my friend and it was just mind-blowing. I had to re-watch it twice. I was, I was like, this is the best musical ever. I've got the soundtrack on repeat, trying to learn the raps, <laughs> not much success. But yeah, honestly, like having that space where teenage girls' experiences are validated and put on a screen slash the stage, it's just so powerful because you don't see that much. It's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed watching the TV adaptation of The Babysitter's Club. I'm obviously not the core demographic for that. That is about preteen girls, but it just resonated with me so much. And it's so sad that it got cancelled. And the creator of the show was talking about how it kind of sucks that this period of girls' lives aren't given that respect that it might deserve, you know, and she kind of points out that, you know, how many Star Wars or how many Spider-Man remakes do we really need? even though I love those films, but, you know, it's like, what about us? Mm, Totally. What is it that you think it is about our culture that doesn't give teenage girls the respect they deserve? Because that's a lot of the crux of Eve's Mm -hmm. work, I guess, too. Mm. I think it's a confusing time and I think people don't want to understand what it's like being maybe, you know, a girl that's 10 or 11. Again, I'm going to reference the creator of of the Babysitter's Club and she was talking about how, you know, girls are expected to go from Doc McStuffins to to euphoria. I don't know. I I want to know why we don't give it the respect we I think it deserves because it's such an interesting period like of our lives. I don't know. 
I totally agree. I, I mean, obviously patriarchy is is a, mm-hmm. a part to blame, right? Because boys, teenage boys are allowed to cry over their football teams and slap each other on the bum and be like, you know, loud and obnoxious about it. And everyone's like, well, fair enough. But if it's females being fans, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's a different kind of treatment, I guess, of that. Like, like I always think about the Beatles and mm-hmm. teenage girls screaming, right? And that's kind of seen as frivolous or undermined I guess mm-hmm. like it I remember that's one of the reasons I think that Harry Styles is so loved right because of his love of teenage girls and he's openly talked about mm-hmm. how much he loves having them as fans which I just think yes Harry oh my god <laughs> have you got tickets to see his show I mean it was a lot of money to drop at one time so I actually didn't buy the tickets but I'm someone who holds out for you know resale like on the week of a concert maybe someone can't make it and I'm there I'm there buying the ticket on the week um (laughs) it's been a long time since we've been to big concerts so I am a bit apprehensive but oh my goodness how good would it be to see him live I know amazing I know I'm really apprehensive and I did get tickets Oh, yes. I did. I was like, this is too much money. But also, my God, Harry. I love it. So I wanted to ask you actually if you've seen the animation Turning Red. Did I ever? Yes. How incredible is this animated film? It's just everything I probably wanted as a child. So watching it was almost this weird feeling of like joy but also deep sadness because it's like, ugh. Like I had to miss out on this and it's so powerful. Have you seen it? Let me let me backtrack. Have you seen it? I have it. Do you want to tell them the basic plot? I've seen it. I loved it. Of yeah. course. It actually follows this, I think, 13-year-old girl. Her name's May and she is a Chinese-Canadian teenager and this is kind of based in like the early 2000s and she is someone kind of torn between two worlds on one hand she loves her parents she honors them she helps them out at the temple that they um, work at on the other hand she's also grappling with school and her cute group of friends who are obsessed with this boy band called four town very similar to One Direction, like the vibes and also Backstreet Boys. It's it's incredible. And the film kind of just goes about um, her struggle between these two worlds. And to make matters more interesting, she also turns into a big, fluffy red panda when she's emotional. So it's about kind of grappling with girlhood, but also the cultural, I guess, balancing act of being like an Asian in a white, predominantly white space as well. Mm, yeah, I, I just resonated so hard with me. Like just that, I just was, that was me as a teenage girl yes. and that joy and love, right? Completely an obsession and the highs and lows. And mm. you do feel like a red panda in your family, in your own life in lots mm. of ways. In terms of your cultural background, how did you grow up in that context, in terms of being a Chinese background, did that have an impact on what you had to share with your family, what you hid from your family, you know, in the world? Did it not have much of an impact? Oh, it had so much. I mean, I think one of the most interesting things, just to tie it back to the film for a second, because I was watching it with my little sister on the couch, and as soon as May kind of pops up on screen, she is just like confident, geeky, like girl who's just so self-assured in herself but I think one thing that was most shocking and embarrassingly shocking like I can't believe I found it that way was that she had this love of being Chinese and she wasn't ashamed of it and I was like well that's one thing that differed with my experience hey like that is not the typical rite of passage that we typically see on screen because yeah for me that wasn't the reality I hate looking back sometimes and and thinking about the way that I treated my cultural identity with how much like hatred I had towards it and how much I wanted to just suppress it and hide it, right? I didn't like being Chinese. I don't think anyone who's, I guess, other likes that part of themselves because it's what we, it's what you want to kind of hide. So for me, I'm very lucky, you know, I grew up in Melbourne quite multicultural, to be honest, the community that I found myself in. But at the same time, I just desperately wanted to be white, to be normal, quote unquote normal. And I had these terrible, terrible memories of, you know, 
throwing out that beautiful pack lunch that my mum made for me before I even entered the school gates because I was worried about what people would think. And all these little things, like little moments in the day, which just kind of reaffirmed to myself, like, no, like who you are is wrong. And this isn't the way to be. So yeah, while at school, that definitely happened. And I was very proud to emphasize my Aussie accent and wear shorts in winter like every other kid. Um, at home, it wasn't necessarily like I had to hide the the sides of myself that I found at school. You know, I wasn't really hiding my friends or what I found interested in. But I think it was just that disdain for my culture was really deep. Like I had to go to Saturday Chinese school for so many years of my life and it wasn't a pleasant experience. I'm just terrible with languages and I just felt so outside there as well just because I couldn't speak Chinese either. So it was a weird, it's a weird balancing act that I think a lot of people do experience. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had that experience too. And I thank you so much for talking about it. Because I feel like maybe that's not always a narrative that we get to hear in the mainstream media, right? Mm. What is it about being Chinese at school that you found really challenging? As soon as you said this, like one memory always pops my head and I need to let it go because, you know, I'm talking about maybe like a nine or 10 year old boy. He didn't know better, but, you know, there was this time in the schoolyard where me and a few of his friends were all just around and of course we're talking about who we like right little like who like who do we have a crush on and then one of the boys is like oh like what about Maggie and without like a second of hesitation he's like oh no she's Chinese (laughs) and that has just stuck with me for so long which is silly because I know like come on this is a child I'm talking about but like words do hurt right and I think it's you know no matter how well I speak English or how how much I try to get involved in team sports or just do what everyone else is doing it's like no just because of the way I look I am immediately treated differently like I just so many times I just wanted to be seen as a girl as opposed to like a Chinese girl but now it is like, you know, being Chinese is something that I love and I take pride in. So it, it has changed, but it's just difficult to to kind of balance that because in the past, yeah, it was not fun. No, God, being othered in all different ways when you're growing up, that's what I hated about school, that you had to fit into particular boxes, right? And you can't just be yourself because kids often attack you if you're different. They're like, nope, get back <laughs> yeah. in the box, be the same. And then you spend a lot of time and energy trying to be the same. But I, I can imagine when it's your, the way you physically are in the world. I mean, I was a very chubby kid. So that was my sort of, you know, battle mm. being a chubby girl, which now I look back and think, sweetheart, what a legend. You yeah. were so great. Yeah. It's, you know, being different is so difficult in lots of different respects. What is it that you are really proud about now being Chinese? What do you love about it? I think it's just, it comes from a love of my parents and my family. It's like, how can I hate something that we are? You know, I feel like it's not just hurting myself, but it's hurting the people I love around me, not only my family now, but also, you know, my friends and the community I find myself in. It's, It's just something I can't even really grapple with to a massive extent. Like I'm someone who, um, I guess, I know it sounds so cheesy, but like I love myself and I love loving myself and I like being gentle with myself as well. And it's like, well, my culture and my heritage is a part of that. So Maggie, we're not going to be so rude to ourselves and this big part of ourselves. And there's a lot to love and appreciate about my culture. I mean, food is what comes to mind. I'm not going to lie. Like that was the first thing that came to mind. But it's just, you know, the stories around the dinner table that we hear about, like my relatives and whatnot. It's like, whoa, like I get to be part of this cultural lineage. I get to be part of this story. Like that's incredible. It is incredible. Food is the best. Food is the best. It is the best. What do you love to eat as like a general sort of thing? Like if you're, I don't know, celebrating or something, Mm -hmm. do you have particular dishes that you love to make? Oh, my God. Why is lasagna one of my favorite food? (laughs) (laughs) I know, like not what you're thinking. And then also my actual favorite food is actually cheese. And in the part of China I'm from, there's literally no cheese. Like 
that's not a part of our culture. Um, but when I'm talking about my mum's cooking and I still live at home, so I'm very lucky I get to experience her delicious food most days of the week. She makes killer dumplings. And I was listening to your episode with Benjamin Law and he was talking about like, oh. no, we don't make the skin. I'm like, we make the skin sometimes. We make the, I actually don't know what the proper word for it is, but we call them dumpling skins in our household, which sounds quite intense. <laughs> but love dumplings and you know me and my sister will help fold them at times mine are always like the ugliest out of the bunch but it doesn't matter because when you cook them they all taste the same but yeah (laughs) that's what comes to mind yeah oh so lucky oh my goodness all right so I want to go back to Maggie teenager Maggie started her is it like a blog for One Direction or did you say Twitter account it was a Twitter account that's my age (laughs) Because when I was 13, there was no Twitter. God, I'm old. <laughs> yeah, so you started that and where where did it go from there? Because you've obviously loved the internet mm. for a very long time. Oh, yes. I have spent almost like a decade on it and, you know, that's almost half my life, which is strange to think about. But, yes, I had this One Direction Twitter From there, I did have my own blog as well, actually. It was on Blogspot. It had a few different name iterations, which are quite cheesy, but I will share with, (laughs) I will share them with you now. You're very lucky, Claire. So it first was called Cosmic Thread. And that was kind (laughs) of like a play on, you know, I don't know, something spacey, but also, you know, because I love fashion, thread, like, threads and clothes and then afterwards it got changed to the misfitted so again kind of a reference to clothes being not like you know not fitting but also not fitting in in society in whatever ways that kind of takes form so I had that I was also quite active on tumblr which was also a blogging site which you know made me think I was so indie and cool and kind of propelled me into that kind of community and I mean I'm just going to list literally every single social media site but after that Instagram is where I kind of found my footing and is kind of where I still am today so it's an interesting one like having social media and being online has just felt so second nature for most of my life that it's actually something I'm working on unlearning now and trying to spend more time offline and kind of you know, I used to pride myself on saying like, oh, you know, Instagram Maggie and in real life Maggie are so similar. Like I'm like the same person I am online as I am offline. And I understand, you know, we we say that that's a good thing because it's me being authentic and whatnot. But it's actually, you know, I've had to rethink that. And I'm like, well, what parts of myself am I saving for myself? Like who, like I shouldn't, have all of myself online like who am I offline and off screen so it's it's something I'm working on nowadays is that because of the time that you grew up in would you say digital native in that you grew up with it it's just it's the air that you breathed oh yeah and I mean it's changing so fast nowadays so I think I was kind of like the earlier batch of digital natives so when I was growing up it still had like the VCRs. I had to think about that. I was like, what are they called again? VCRs. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't, I, we never had like a PlayStation or video games, but we could go to the library and borrow computer games. So growing up, it was pretty offline. But when I hit my early teen years, for sure, like I was on, I was on, I was online quite a lot. And it just hasn't really stopped because, you know, that's the space I work in now. That's the space that we socialize in. It's just so second nature. Yeah. And do do you think that has an effect on your mental health in a negative way? Or is it a positive thing? Where do you you see Mm -hmm. it? It's interesting because I think that's the first thing that people kind of link up. Like social media is bad for your mental health. And of course, there are so many studies that relate it to, you know, negative body image and negative like mental health issues. And there are like a plethora of problems that can come with it. Honestly, though, in terms of like body image and, 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 and whatnot, like self-esteem, I wouldn't say that it's played a massively negative part in my life because the thing is, this is very optimistic. But again, with Instagram, for instance, like you are in power of what you see. Like you actually have some autonomy of who you follow. And I kind of, not 
eye roll, but I, I wish people would kind of take more ownership and responsibility over that, right? It's just very easy to just say like, oh, Instagram's terrible for your mental health or your body image, but it's like you have some control there. And I'm not blaming individuals, of course, because algorithms are so sneaky and whatnot, but I think it can be a good place. And I don't want people to just disregard it completely. For me, I think it's just that like increase of screen time and that reliance on my phone that I'm worried about. But that's another story. (laughs) Yeah, it's the addiction Mm -hmm. part of it, designed that way. How is it that you structure it so that Instagram can be a really good thing for your mental health? I wish I was better. So, you know, I think I have friends who have really lovely rules like switching off at 7 or 8 p.m. every night, keeping their phone in a different room. I remember my friend telling me a few months ago, um, who also is kind of in the content creation space, and she's like, oh, yeah, I take weekends off. So, like, I don't go on Instagram and I don't take photos. And and this was only a few months ago, but I was like, what do you mean? That sounds like ridiculous. I can't imagine ever doing that. And lo and behold, I've been kind of doing that from time to time, and it's just very nice to have that physical distance between you and your phone or the apps. And I know maybe for some people listening to this, this might sound a little bit ridiculous, like, oh my goodness, Gen Z can't even step away from their phone or an app for a day. But I think the thing is, is it's just like you mentioned, Claire, like almost like air. It's how we communicate. It's how I personally see the world. Like I have for so many years, like walk through the world thinking at times, like, how can I document this? Will this make a good photo? And that is not a nice way to live, to be honest, like seeing the world through a camera lens in a way. So I do think this is a very real thing that a lot of people do go through. So for me, I'm just like remembering how nice offline things are. And, you know, when you're with a friend, you're not going to be thinking about your phone and it's just about being involved in more activities that make you feel that way. Mm, What it feels like rather than what it looks like. Mm right? Mm, completely. I think is, yeah, something I'm really working on in general to remembering to sit in myself, not necessarily exactly as you said, seeing it from the outside because often those things that are supposed to feel good and look good often may look good but don't feel good. Mm. But what does feel good is a face mask with my hair, you know, <laughs> washed, sitting, I don't know, watching like suddenly 30 on the couch yes. and you know, that feels good. And that party where you ostensibly look mm. perfect and everyone looks perfect may not feel good mm. in it, you know. So I wanted to go back again. So you've been creating content, you've got your blogs going. What is it about fashion? Because fashion's a huge part of your identity. I think I can guess this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Mm. What is what is it? Why Why fashion? Why is it there in your life? It's funny because it's actually not something I was interested in for a long time. Early teen years, did not care about fashion. I had this period when I was in year eight. So that was when I was about, you know, 13, 14. Every single weekend, I would wear the same blue hoodie. I did not care. I had no, like no differentiation. It was just it was just clothes to me, honestly, which I think is interesting because when you talk to a lot of fashion people, you know, they'll be like, yes, from a young age, I threw fashion shows and runways and I was always in my mum's wardrobe, etc. I didn't have any of that, to be honest. I have no idea why, but I just wasn't that phased by clothes. I think, again, being online in these blogging communities and seeing I think the biggest thing for me was seeing women or girls, to be honest, my age being interested in it. That made me feel like, oh, like I have a voice here. I can be interested in this because, you know, seeing magazines or even, I don't know, to a lesser extent, but things on TV and movies didn't resonate much with me. Perhaps it's a representation issue because I didn't see myself being reflected. But yeah, entering that kind of online space made me interested in fashion and For me, it's interesting now because we love self-expression and it's just such like, duh, but it's tangible. Like it's something that you have power over every single day, what you choose to clothe your body in. And I think that's just so special that we get to do that. Mm, 
Completely. Where did your journey start? I hate that word, but anyway, (laughs) where did your journey start with looking at sustainability in fashion? I mean, it's a bit embarrassing as well because, yes, I am someone who I would consider myself a slow fashion advocate, right? But I had this period for a few years, I think maybe others can relate, where I would have heard drips and drabs about fashion sustainability. I think I did a uni project on it. I used to tutor, so I I helped one of my students do an oral presentation on it, right? And I like had these facts in my back pocket and stuff, but like I literally... It felt like another social issue that's out there in this big, bad world. And it was something I didn't really care about, which sounds terrible, but that's the truth, right? It was this terrible thing that's happening in our world. And I was like, oh, that sucks. But I didn't actually feel that correlation between my own life and what was happening out there. It changed selfishly when I started this is like, I'm like embarrassed to admit this, Claire. I don't know. It just, it feels so self-centering, but I think that's the thing with a lot of these social issues. Like you do need that personal connection or that pull sometimes to get involved. So I will tell you anyway, <laughs> but yeah, in my Instagram days, I was being gifted quite a bit of clothing from fast fashion brands. And in my personal life, I was never a massive shopper. So you know, it was so fun receiving all these sparkly new things in the mail. But at the same time, when I was ripping open these like plastic bags, I felt so icky and wrong in myself. Like it didn't feel right. And that's honestly, you know, I interrogated that feeling and I was like, hey, actually, like this is why I feel yucky about it. And I kind of allowed myself to explore those difficult feelings because of course, I think if you ask most people, yeah, people care about worker rights and care about the environment. It's just very hard to marry that up with your own, I guess, purchasing decisions and what you do. So I I decided to kind of interrogate that. And then what did you discover when you interrogated it? It sucks. Like it sucks. <laughs> like the fashion industry at the moment sucks. And and like I don't want any part to do with that because you know, we talk about self-expression as, you know, how clothes look on you, but it is also a reflection of yourself and your values, right? And I don't feel good when I know that the clothes that I'm wearing haven't been made properly or like the workers who have made the clothes haven't been treated properly. That's kind of what I really tapped into for myself. And, you know, you want to feel good in your clothes. That goes for style, that goes for the way the clothes fit, but it also counts for like the values behind it. Mm, absolutely. Why do you live your life the way that you do with this really strong sense of self-awareness and integrity and, you know, examining the choices that you make? Like that's a massive thing at 23. I don't, I think there are a lot of like, you know, people in their 60s and 70s who still haven't got there. Mm, that is very interesting that you said that. Uh, thank you. It's funny because I have friends that I see who, I mean, I two come to mind and they're both vegan, right? And it is so commendable, but almost like unbelievable how like staunch they are in their values that, you know, one day they learn about veganism and then they're like, that's right. I'm committing to that for the rest of my life. Like that terrifies me. So what I skipped over in that nice kind of Instagram journey of quitting fast fashion was like, there was a good year. I would say that I felt so torn in the sense of like, I had these thoughts about fast fashion bubbling in the back of my mind, but at the same time, I didn't want to take that step forward and I didn't want to commit to it because that's scary. I don't like definitive labels. And I was very nervous about, well, if I start this slow fashion journey, people are going to judge me if I stuff up. Like people, you know, I can never make a mistake, all that stuff. So it's very nice that you think I'm very, you know, strong in my beliefs and I act on them. But to be honest, no, (laughs) like I don't... (laughs) That was so rude of me. Um, Like I don't consider myself an environmentalist or anything, you know, like I still get takeaway coffee cups in in cups and we don't compost at home and then there's all these things that I'm not great at. So that's the honest truth. And I do think, you know, focusing on one thing makes it easier. So right now my focus is fashion and of course I stuff up still and whatnot, but it's so daunting, this whole world of, being perfect at everything. 
Oh, that's womanhood, especially. Mm. I mean, but a human thing, but especially for women. Completely. Be perfect. You know, what is everyone else going to think of you if you don't do everything perfectly? And sometimes that can stop you from doing anything. Mm. Whereas that lovely advice about, you know, being sustainable and everything, you don't have to do everything perfectly. We just need everyone to do things a little bit well. Completely. And actually my friend had this lovely bit of advice for me. So I'm pescatarian now, but I tried to do Veganuary, which is when you be vegan for January. It's a very clunky portmanteau. Um, But anyway, and you know, I was like, oh my God, being vegan, that's hectic. Like every single meal for the rest of your life. And she was like, no, you just need to think about the next meal. Like what's for lunch? Like that's it. Like that's the extent, right? Same goes for fashion. It's not all the clothes for the rest of your life. It's like, oh, like my next outfit is, or my next purchase is this. So it's nice to break things down in manageable chunks. Mm, I really like that. And nothing finite. Like you don't, just because you decide to have a meal that has less meat or no meat mm. or cheese, Maggie. Oh, my favourite. <laughs> I know. Vegan cheese. I know. Just doesn't cut it. No. Shouldn't say that. But it just doesn't. Maybe it will eventually. <laughs> One day. Um, yeah. But I think there's something in that massively being open to having your mind changed, mm. being kind to ourselves and making little changes rather than thinking it has to be all or nothing, mm. which I feel like I've done in my head before, you know, done an all or nothing kind of proposition. I guess I wanted to ask you why you are though clearly someone that thinks deeply about their choices mm. in the world. And it doesn't mean you always enact perfectly on everything, But why are you that way? Why do you self-examine? You know, why are you creative? Oh, that's a nice question. I've never, I guess, explicitly thought about it, right? We don't, I mean, maybe people do, but like, you know, interrogating why we are the way we are to that much detail. I mean, I, I think I'm very naive and I view this world through almost like a rom-com lens, you know, like a very movified movie movie-esque lens where I know Jen said copped a bit of slack for it with this term that we coined maybe a year or two ago, main character energy, right? Which which is encouraging people to view their lives as if they are the main character and and you are like, I guess, the center of your own universe in a non, I guess, overly self-centered way, if that makes sense. I just think it's a waste not to live life as well as you can. And by well, I don't mean, you know, hitting all your goals and being successful, but just like being true to yourself and like really living in your body and letting yourself feel all these emotions. That's why I love, I love crying. I even, you know, my cycle was like, you know, being angry isn't a bad emotion. There aren't any bad emotions. We just feel them. And I'm like, that is so powerful. Like what are we doing if not just experiencing emotion on this earth, right? And I just think there are so many interesting things out there. And I know, I feel like I'm just dumbing it down and just saying, like, I don't know, these kind of frivolous ideas of things are important. Ideas are important. Like, I just want to learn them. I just want to know more about them. Like, isn't that just a nice thing to do as a human? Like, I don't, I don't really prescribe to having like a purpose on this earth or, or things like that. That just feels very overwhelming. For me, it's just like the little things that I can do in my day, which is just feel emotions, feel stuff, learn stuff, think things like, oh my goodness, I feel like a sim saying that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's so exactly mm. it. I know you said you think it's frivolous or it could, could be perceived as that, but I do think that's our conditioning and maybe living in a patriarchal mm. kind of view of things, right, that emotions are frivolous. Even this podcast, when I tell people it's about emotions, mm. that's it. Mm-hmm. And I had all of these problems with admitting that that's what it's about like talking about mm. people's lives and emotions because that sounds wishy-washy or something. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. That is it. That's all we're here to do. Yeah. Just feel things. <laughs> feel things. Be passionate about things. Yes. Be angry about things. Be devastated by things. Be amazed and in awe of things, you know, and curious. Mm. Like what else is there? It's that simple and that complicated, Yeah. you know? Oh, 
What? It's that simple and that complicated. I love the way that you said that. It's completely true. Like I shouldn't be ashamed of just saying that kind of basic wish-washy answer because that is completely how I feel. Like that's that's it. That's it. And it doesn't have to be anything more or anything less than that, I think. Completely. Do you find it difficult walking through the world as someone who's, who is very sensitive to emotions? And Yes and no. I mean... I when you even when you were saying like walking through the world, right? I am someone who will like sing kind of on the streets. Thank God this is an audio podcast. <laughs> no one else had to see that weird dance move I just did. I loved it. <laughs> I wish they could all have seen it. Like I, I don't know. Like w- with that sensitivity and that willingness to feel deeply comes this romanticization of life. That's kind of what I was trying to get with a get at with the main character energy, like. This morning I took a 15-minute walk just before work outside and the sky was blue and the leaves were turning red. I saw this half-open mandarin on the ground. That gave me joy. <laughs> like Little things. It's, it's little things. And sometimes I will kind of dance down the street awkwardly if there's no one around or, you know, I will mouth words as I'm running and just feel really good in that moment. So yeah, I would say that's connected with sensitivity and stuff, but it's just like nice to feel deeply and nice to kind of just take every little thing for granted. I think I was never one to really actively practice gratitude in the way of like writing down things and whatnot, but I think it's also just noticing things that feel like that just feel nice and feel good. Yeah, it makes everything feel special, like everything. Completely. Yeah, there's a beautiful writer and artist called Chanel Miller. Mm. Have you seen her work? I've seen the book, but I'll let you describe it. I haven't read it. Yeah, so her book, No, My Name, is ostensibly about her sexual assault and detailing those experiences. So when I picked it up, I thought this is going to be Mm. a hugely intense kind of dark book and how am I going to do this? And then I started reading it and she absolutely is exactly that person noticing everything and then when you go to look at her Instagram she's an artist Mm. and that's it she just illustrates noticing things like a half open mandarin (laughs) on the ground or a dog who's standing there next to her owner while her owner chooses between two flowers and she's imagining the dog's going choose the purple one (laughs) you know just like tiny tiny little things Mm. about life that once you see them they add up to that's it. Like that's where the joy is. It doesn't have to be in the big awards or the success, you know, or whatever we think is success, Mm. right? Which keeps me going, I think, completely. Mm. One of my really good friends, Natalie, actually kind of worded this in a different way, which I love. We got to travel together a couple of years ago, so it's honestly stuck with me since then. And it was like these little moments that we're talking about, right? They're almost like secrets between her and the universe. Like she is the only person in all of human history that is witnessing this from her point of view, right? So it's like from the perspective of when she's on a walk and she looks up and she's standing beneath a tree and the light shining through the leaves in a really beautiful way. Like, yeah, light shining through trees is a very common experience. But like in that moment, she's the only one who gets to see that exact moment that will never happen again. And I think just reframing it like that, when I guess we're in a world um, and many of us lead lives that are very monotonous um, and repetitive, it's nice to break away from that. It is, right? And I think when I've had dark times in my life, those have been the times where I haven't been able to see those Mm -hmm. things, you know. Yeah. Have you had times in your life where you have felt like that or have you sort of felt this ability to see the joy in everything Mm -hmm. always? I was thinking about this as we were going on about main character energy and whatnot. Like I'm like, boy, am I painting my life in a really nice way? Like it's very... It's very easy, I guess, to just say all this and, you know, without the perspective of, you know, life sucks a lot of the time and things happen. And and sometimes, you know, looking at leaves isn't going to fix everything. (laughs) Um, And yeah, like, like low times, 
Low times are always around the corner, I guess, and it's an interesting one because I like being honest and stuff, but some things are just hard to talk about, you know, like things from mental health to to like family issues to, you know, recent like recently-ish I was like diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, um, which is like a chronic illness. And it's like these things like I'm not ashamed of, but I just find it very hard sometimes to dive into which I find at odds with myself as well. Like I'm someone who who loves sharing and I think there's so much power in being like transparent and sharing and sharing stories. But yeah, that's the honest truth and I'm not too sure why I feel this way. Well, I think as well like what you were going back to, some of your life, it's okay for it to just be yours Ooh. and you don't have Ooh. to share all of it. I think sometimes we grow, have grown up with this idea that the only way to process things really is to just put it all on the table. Mm -hmm. And also I think I've found sharing about the really difficult stuff while it's happening when I don't even know how I feel about it yet isn't doesn't sit right in my bones or something. Yeah. Like maybe in hindsight in a few years' time when you you can come to terms with those sorts of things. I'm so sorry about that diagnosis too. Oh. That's really tricky. Yeah, thank you for for saying that. But I think yeah, what you're saying is so right about that sharing, right? And especially that is amplified like times a dozen when it's like I share so much of my life online or I've been so accustomed to sharing everything. Like, you know, I'll snap my breakfast, I'll snap selfies of me every hour or whatever it is. Like it's almost this you feel this pressure or expectation to share everything. And, and on the flip side of that, it sometimes feels disingenuous when you don't. But that's not the case. Like that is so not the case. Like you don't owe anyone anything, especially online. Um, you don't owe, you know, sharing every part of yourself. And yeah, there is definitely power in also being quiet or processing things by yourself or away from the crowd and the noise. Mm, completely. I know Glennon Doyle talks about sometimes you don't see the gold as a writer in a difficult experience until it's sat in the earth for a long time, mm. like in your own head and heart. And sometimes it's too immediate, like the pain of it or whatever, to share right in that moment. But I guess it's like anything in life, right? Once you've processed something really difficult, you then find learning out of it. Mm but that might not come for years. Yeah. You have to kind of have gone through it, which is kind of annoying. When you go through a really hard thing, we kind of immediately just want to fix, yeah. you know, like a quick fix and then we'll be fine. And the idea that it takes years or something can be really frustrating and infuriating. What do you do? Because I've noticed online on your Instagram, you do some really beautiful self-care stuff. Mm. Do you want to talk us through some of the actual things you do that you're encouraging other people to do as well, the self-care? Yeah. I'm so glad we're talking about self-care more and I know it gets bandied around a lot, especially on platforms like Instagram and you'll see a lot of these carousels and and if I'm honest, I totally understand that self-care goes beyond, I guess, the surface level things, which I will mention because this is really nice for me. But of course, I love that our conversations are talking about how self-care is setting boundaries, is saying no. It's these more definitive, I don't know, like practices that we can implement. But for me, oh my goodness, I got to bake my favorite lemon cake last night. It was so lovely to do. <laughs> I know this sounds, again, these sound so small, but I'm a big fan of lighting candles. And I'm not saying this in, again, an Instagram-y performative sense to share with anyone else. No, like this is completely for me. I love tea, so I'll make multiple cups of tea for myself each day. But I think it's the way that we reframe these very basic everyday activities. Like basically what I've said is I cook. I drink liquid. I, you know, like make my space a little bit nicer, but it's like, no, like, oh, I'm doing these beautiful practices for myself. And like, oh, isn't it nice? I'm setting some time away for myself and I get to experience this. And I'm, I don't know, I'm taking care of myself, which is essentially self-care. I understand, but it's just reframing these nice things, almost like, you know, if you make a cup of tea for a loved one, like that's a really lovely gesture, right? Same if you do it for yourself. I am very much a Pisces, if you haven't caught on, like very much emotional and <laughs> romanticizing of life. But yeah, it's just the small things and, you know, 
from skincare to buying yourself flowers at the farmer's market. Like it's just treating yourself in nice small ways. Yeah, completely. It's that self-kindness, I think, that can sometimes go missing a lot in our culture. We can, for some reason, I don't know what it is, particularly for women, I think it's this idea that we need to be selfless, Mm. you know, and constantly giving out to others. But as you say, so it sounds so corny, Mm. you can't pour from an empty cup, Mm. right? And the more that we can encourage people to do that, I think the better. So why writing? Why are you a writer as well? Because obviously you're a podcaster and Instagrammer and all these beautiful things, but you also write for Refinery29. And I loved their tagline on their account, the catalyst for women and underrepresented people to see, feel and claim their power. Mm. I thought that was like a three-pronged question. (laughs) I guess, why do you write and why do you write for Refinery29? writing's an interesting one. I saw, I think it might've been a tweet or something and it was like, all writers kind of hate writing as well. And I'm like, yeah, like I kind of feel that. I mean, it's an interesting one because I never thought I'd be doing this. Like, you know, like I mentioned before, love reading as a child in school, enjoyed English and, and like thrived in it. And it was something that was always there. Like, you know, I, I was co-edited at my uni magazine and doing all these little bits because I just love it. I mean, storytelling is at the core of that. And it's just like how nice that we can turn our words into stories to share with others, just as simple as that. And that's, and that's why I am doing it. I much prefer writing to talking. I stumble so constantly over my words. So I think there's something nice about being to to edit your words on a piece of paper or rather a screen as, as I do now. It's almost like, well, I just have to do it. Like I personally actually don't write much just for myself. Like I don't end up, I'm not writing a diary anymore. Or I actually don't write for my, yeah, just for myself, which is something that I definitely want to do because it's a weird feeling, I guess, doing something you love, but just doing it for other people. So that's something I would love to do. But I don't know, it's just the way that I think a lot of people process the world, you know, through words, through writing. And that's something that's resonated with me. Mm, Yeah. Well, you're a beautiful writer and it, it is like an itch. Creativity in general for me is like an itch. If I don't do it, do something about it, things go a bit pear-shaped. Mm-hmm. Have you always had that creative drive? Yes, I've always been creative, but also had a lot of fingers in many pies. I've never been really tied down to one thing. As you mentioned, you know, I love fashion. I love a bit of photography, writing, podcasting. It's it's a lot and it's kind of daunting to just do one thing sometimes. And I like to keep busy. I mean, I'm also very, I was very much like a teacher's pet, like always trying really hard. I think just wanting to do my best has been a constant throughout my whole life. Like it hasn't really changed. And right now, like I'm happy with what I'm doing and I love learning and I love like my writing that is improving so much each time. Like I'm learning so much from those around me and reading more and just learning more, which is not, which is a nice feeling. I love that feeling of not knowing or like being bad at something. I went to an AFLW game like a couple months ago and it was the best atmosphere, especially because I just did not understand what was going on. And it was just kind of nice to sit in that. I mean, like, oh my gosh, like what is going on here? But I love it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like understanding that you can constantly learn and there's constantly stuff that you can discover and find out more about. And that's like exactly goes back to what we were talking about before, right? That the world is just so full of so much. What advice would you give? And this is a very corny question to end a podcast on, but I think it is super valuable. What advice would you give to the little Maggies of the world, the 13 people who are going to one day suddenly be 30, who (laughs) You know, in that in that show, in that TV, show, in like film, she wants to be a magazine editor, right? And when she suddenly wakes up and is one, mm. what advice would you give to those girls, especially who want to emulate the kind of career that you've got? What advice would you give them? Oh, 
That's so cute. I just had a little montage running through my head of me as Jenna Rink in Suddenly 30, but it's just me. Like, and I've got that fun stripy dress on and, and whatnot. That was a lovely, a lovely little daydream. Sorry, Claire. But honestly, like, this is the advice that I give myself day to day. And it's something that I'm working on, but it's like, we spend so much time thinking about our past and thinking about the future and our dreams and all this great stuff that like, yeah, we do miss out on what's happening just right now and just being present. Like it is so difficult. You know, we have so many things that we're worried about or focused about or even excited about to some extent, but it's just like, oh, like how nice would it be if we could just be really present, live in the present and give Give the day, give the hour that you are living in the respect that it deserves and kind of honoring this time that, yeah, we won't actually get back because, again, it comes, I guess, back to we're here just to live. Like there are no strings attached. There are no things we have to do. We're just here to live and to feel our emotions and you have to be present, I guess, to do that. And it's something I'm definitely working on nowadays, but it's it's. I guess what I wish I knew when I was younger as well, because there was always that little bit of like, you know, when I was 13, I was like, I can't wait to be 17. When I was 17, I was like, I can't wait to be 19. And it's, it's just that constant looking forward or looking backwards. And it's like, well, I am happy being here. 22 is my favorite number. And when I said goodbye to being 22 years old, I was devastated for so long. And I was like, why? Being 23 is the same. And it's also lovely. And there are lovely things to find in every moment, in every age. Again, I'll probably eye roll listening back to this in whatever, a decade or something, being like 23 <laughs> as a child. And I do agree, but yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I think you're right. I think that more that we listen to young people, because sometimes I think life can batter and bruise people mm. as they get older, but it's still the same. Yeah. That's the advice. That's it. It's still, that's what saves you, being in the present finding those little joys. So, all right. Thank you so much, Maggie. I have just absolutely loved this conversation. Where can people find you? I know on, is it Ye Mags? Is that how you say it? Oh, I mean, it actually is probably how you pronounce it. I do say yeah, Mags, though, um, which is Y-E-M-A-G-Z on Instagram. I love it. Oh, actually, one final thing I noticed. So, because you're this, your surname, when you say it, is Maggie Zhao, but in Chinese, it is it Zhou? Yeah. Is that how yes. you say it? Yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. Claire, you nailed that. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting one, hey, so we won't let this go for too long. Um, but, yeah, I do kind of pronou- – I pronounce my name, last name, as Zhao, which I always thought was quite westernizing of it. But when I brought it up with my mum, she's like, no, in Cantonese, it's kind of similar to that, actually. So I'm like, well – that's nice. I can keep my last name, but I am very happy to be called Zoll as well. Okay, cool. Excellent. I love that. All right. Thank you so much. I will check, definitely go and check out Maggie's writing as well on Refinery29 and her Instagram account. And thank you so much. This is so valuable. Thank you so much, Claire, for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. You've been listening to a podcast called Taunts with me, Claire Tonti, and this week with the incredible Maggie Zhao. For more from Maggie, you can head to her Instagram account. That's yaymags, Y-E-M-A-G-Z. Or you can also head over to Refinery29, where she is a writer there as well. She also has a wonderful podcast called Culture Club with her friend Jasmine Wallace. And it's just a deep dive into their love of the internet, their lives, and a look at all of the most recent issues and pop culture things. So highly recommend going to check out that podcast too. And that's it from me. If you want more from me, you can head to at Claire Tonti on Instagram. And I'm also over on my website, clairetonti.com. I also have another podcast called Suggestible that comes out every Thursday with my husband man, James Clement, where we discuss movies and TV shows and book recommendations and food recommendations and really just make fun of each other a lot and complain about parenting. <laughs> so that comes out every Thursday and that's called Suggestible. You can follow along with the show at Pod or at with Suggestible at Suggestible Pod, both run by the wonderful Maisie. And as always, thank you to Raw Collings for editing this week's episode. 
please rate, review, subscribe, all the things. It really helps us to be discovered. And if you loved this episode, share it with a friend. That would make so much difference to me. It really helps me to keep making this show. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I create, speak and write today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging, acknowledging that the sovereignty of this land has never been ceded. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.